Well, I, I want to give credit where credit is due. Bill Chandler sent me a paper a few, probably a couple of months ago now, this Bonhoeffer paper. And if you don't have one, everyone was sent one via email. But if you don't have one, here's a hard copy. And for the past year, I've been wrestling with the question, how can college-educated, seemingly intelligent, uh, urbane, sophisticated people say things like, I think it would be best if we defunded the police. Or, um, I'm not sure what a woman is. I mean, a Supreme Court justice that can't define what a woman is. Um, other stupid things, uh, like a cabinet member saying the border is completely closed and secure. Really? Um, a man can get pregnant. Do you not know that? School districts that put female product machines in the boys' bathroom. I mean, what is going on? Well, Bill sent me this paper. I read it. I'd actually read it about 40 years ago because it's in a book called uh, Letters and Papers from Prison, the collected papers and letters of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was in the concentration camp. But I don't remember it. But when I read this, it answered my question. Um, we've been talking about, the last time I did a series, we did a, a series on the fact that now we live in a culture of darkness, death, and tyranny. And I went all through that. If you remember with tyranny, I said, you know, life biblically is based around freedom and form um, on a spectrum. And the more uh, freedom you have, the less form you have. The more free form you have, the less freedom. I'll give you an example. The American Revolution. How did that differ from the French Revolution? Both had the cry, you know, liberty or Libertad, give me liberty or death. But we fought against the British, but we already had a Continental Congress that was already working on the sense of we don't want monarchy anymore. And they came up with our constitutional republic, which underscores freedom, but it's not totally devoid of form. We have rights and bill, bill of rights, where the French Revolution, it was totally freedom, with no form. Well, that leads to chaos. So, but if you have too much form, that leads to tyranny. And for the first time in my life, I see our government heading this way. Our constitutional republic is based on uh, the freedom, the government by the people, for the people, of the people, but I'm seeing our government making more and more laws, not in the legislative branch, but by people who we didn't vote for. You know, we have three branches of government, the executive, judicial, and legislative. Legislative is House and the Senate. The House is supposed to be more in touch with the people, the common man and woman. And that's why their terms were only to be two years. And back when we first founded the Republic, if you were Farmer Jones, you got elected to the House, you couldn't leave your farm for about more than about two years or else you go bankrupt. So the idea was it was to turn over uh, rapidly and with more and more of the populace being represented. No law can come into being in the United States constitutionally except that it begins in the House of Representatives by the elected people. Then it goes to the Senate. They were to have... a they were to move purposely, slowly, and methodically to make sure that wacky stuff didn't come from the House and get, you know, voted into place. And so they were elected for a six-year term. But again, they were not to be career politicians. They were supposed to be turnover. What we have now is just career politicians in both houses who love power. They love going to Washington and dining at the trough um, and the Georgetown cocktail party circuit. That's not everybody, but I think a good deal of them. 
And they've really lost touch with the people, but we have a lot of laws being made from the bench by justices in the judicial thing. Justices were never elected to make law, only the Congress. The Supreme Court exists if there's dispute over laws, they're to take it and supposed to be neutral and see does this line up with the constitution of our country. If it does, they affirm it. If not, but everything's gotten so politicized. And the executive branch was not to make laws. They could suggest things to the Congress. We have, with the beginning of about 2008, all these executive orders. Um, who was in office back then, decided he wasn't going to work with the Congress, even though he had a majority in the House and Senate. He just, remember he said, I have a pen and a phone. And he just, he didn't have time. He was going to change America. And that's been picked up by every president since. And our country, I think, is in, in chaos. And it didn't get any better. But now I'm going to say that we also now live in a culture of stupidity. And back to tyranny. I drew this little diagram here. This represents the history of the world. And if you look, if you study world history and governments, this is, must be a little sliver. That's republic or democracy. The history of the world is tyranny all the time. So we happen to live in an, this tiny little sliver where we've been a part of a nation that's defied the history of the world and created this constitutional republic. But we've gotten stupid. And um, this Bonhoeffer paper just opened my eyes to this, and I started studying this. He wrote this 10 years after Hitler came to power. Hitler came to power in 1933. So he's, it's 43. Bonhoeffer uh, was part of the underground church movement in Germany. Um, he was a pacifist going into the war. When he saw what Hitler was doing, he thought the lesser of two evils would be to assassinate this guy and get rid of him. So he participated in the assassination attempt on Hitler that, that failed. Uh, but he was rounded up and he was put in the Flossenburg concentration camp. He was hung two weeks before the camp was liberated in 1945 by American forces. So he paid the price of martyrdom standing against the tyranny of, of Hitler. But to really understand this paper, you need to understand what was going on in Germany between World War I and World War II. Before World War I, Germany was a, a total tyranny, had a Kaiser, Kaiser Wilhelm. And you know, I don't want to speak ill of all uh, kings and queens. If you have a benign king, benign queen, who really cares about the people, that's great. Remember, we talked in the last series about this. Rex Lex versus Lex Rex. That's Latin king law. Up until uh, really the, the Reformation, really the 17th century, Scotland, the king came before the law. He made the law. The king said, this is the law. You obey it. And oftentimes, they were above the law. And Samuel Rutherford, Scottish Presbyterian pastor in the 17th century, said, baloney. It's this. It should be this. Lex, law, meaning God's law. Then the king, and the king is under God's law, and should the king ever violate God's law, he needs to be deposed. And um, that's really what our nation is founded on. The founding fathers, yes, some of them were deists. Some maybe were unbelievers, but the majority of them were Christians, and the majority of them were Presbyterian-type Christians. And they saw from back in uh, uh, the Reformation days, when the Church of Scotland said, we don't want a bishop. And John Knox came up with the whole idea of how a whole nation could be, a whole nation's church could be structured uh, this way. 
with a Presbyterian type of government where power is diffused, not in amongst many people, not in one person like a bishop. And uh, it's interesting, the Westminster Assembly of Divines in 1641 and 1648, that was called into being by the King of England. His hope was that he could unite the Church of Scotland, Church of Ireland, and Church of England under one polity, one theology, and the Scots wouldn't go for it. Uh, they refused bishops. Ironically, the only church to adopt the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms was the Church of Scotland, the Church of England, and Ireland did not. But So when our Continental Congress meets, most of them are Presbyterian, and they said, you know, our church government would probably be a good pattern for a national government. And that really was the basis uh, for our Constitution. The Revolutionary War in London was called the Presbyterian Rebellion. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to get these stats exactly right, but uh, I threw them out the last time we had a series. Uh, it was like about uh, 50% of the Continental Army in the Revolutionary War were Presbyterians. Two-thirds of the colonels in Washington's army were Presbyterian elders. Patrick Henry, Presbyterian. Um, so we really, Presbyterians, helped lay the foundation for a non-tyrannical government, a government that um, really was for the people, of the people, by the people. I put a quote up there on the board by Ronald Knox. He's an early 20th century theologian. It is so stupid of modern civilization to have given up belief in the devil when he is the only explanation for it. When you look around and see all the craziness, I think Satan's having uh, a field day. But back to what was going on in Germany before World War II, between World War I and World War II. They figured out, we don't want a tyrannical government. They looked at the U.S. They came up with the idea of what's called the Weimar Republic, which was a great idea, but it wound up going too much this way without enough form. I didn't know this until just a few weeks ago. I started studying the Weimar Republic. I was just interested. What, what is it that set it up for Hitler to take over? Because it seems so stupid that they would want him. Well, here's what was going on in the Weimar Republic. It devolved into a completely chaotic social environment where intellectuals and academia, artists, social and moral innovationists were pushing the envelope in every way they could. I'm going to go into that in more detail but in just a second, but I want to say something about the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment gets good press and bad press. You know, the Enlightenment was basically the, the uh, started in the 18th century. You could say it even started before then that actually the Reformation was a part or precursor to the Enlightenment. This idea that uh, reform needed to take place in the church, more freedom. But the Enlightenment comes along, and the good parts of it was it opened the doors for science. And by the way, folks, I'm an ex-scientist. The whole scientific enterprise was started by Bible-believing, committed Christian, Christian scientists. Uh, I like to say about Christian science, it's neither Christian nor science. But um, scientists who are Christians, believe, believing that there is a God, a creator, and that everything that exists has his fingerprints on it, and that we are to pursue God by pursuing his truth and by examining everything in the world that we can, we're just coming to know God in a better way. And so I always tell people, never be afraid of science, real science. There's scientism out there where they don't really follow <laughs> the laws of science. Um, we're seeing that. That's a part of stupidity. I'll get into that in a minute. But uh, if Jesus Christ really is who he says he is, he says, I am the truth, with a capital T. And if science is about pursuing truth, and every scientist will tell you, Yes, that's what it's about, but don't believe them. But if you pursue truth, really, doggedly, you will wind up in the arms of Christ. 
So don't ever be afraid of science. And by the way, everything scientific in our world today is backing up this. The Hubble telescope, the Webb telescope. You know, Christians believe God created matter out of nothing. They say the bottom line philosophical question is, why is there something rather than nothing? Christians say because there's a God who created it. And Augustine wrote in, in the fourth century at length about how until God spoke, there was no such thing as matter. Well, the Enlightenment ridiculed Augustine and Christians and the Bible, and this is the bad side of the Enlightenment. And, um, and yet, the Hubble telescope showed what scientists, professionals, and lay people call the Big Bang. Now, that's not our enemy. That's a friend. The Big Bang says, these are secular scientists saying now, apparently there was no such thing as matter until 13.8 billion years ago when all of a sudden, boom, it comes into being. Augustine's been vindicated. And uh, hooray, you know. And so, you know, and don't worry, this doesn't throw into question the six days of creation in Genesis. Think about it. What, what day is the sun created on? Day four. How do we define a day? That's time it takes the earth to orbit the sun. Well, if there's no sun, then to me that says time is open in the first three verses or the first three days of Genesis could be six milliseconds, six eons, six 24-hour days. Ah, God can do any of that. So don't be threatened by that. A day is just a thousand years in sight of God, says the Bible. Okay, back to the Weimar Republic. Um, modernism began to take hold over all social, moral, religious, and sexual mores. Everybody was pushing the envelope. Uh, this would be the groundwork 30 years later for the rise of the 1960s left-wing intellectuals and cultural moral transformists. Um, in the Weimar Republic, Berlin became the decadence capital of the universe. Some of you probably like the Broadway show Cabaret. That came out of the whole idea of in these cabarets in the Weimar Republic, and particularly Berlin. I can't even tell you what they did on the stage and in the audience while was, all this was going on. Now, part of the good thing in the Weimar Republic, you had this great freedom. And guess what happened in that freedom? Science ballooned. You had guys like Max Planck, Albert Einstein, who were pushing the envelope. And this whole idea of Newtonian physics starts you know, go, not going out the window. And if you study physics, you'll see that Newtonian physics always holds true um, at low speeds of light and low gravitational forces. But when you get outside toward the speed of light, Newtonian physics breaks down and you have quantum mechanics taking over. Stephen Hawking, who's dead now, but one of the world's foremost physicists, he never came to belief, but, uh, and he tried to be an atheist as best he could. Um, he thought the God thing would be solved when the Holy Grail was found, and that's how Newtonian physics and quantum mechanics blend. My theory is, ha, they never will. God set it up that way, and you're never going to be able to figure out the universe uh, entirely. But Einstein, Planck, other guys just rise to the surface in science, you had a blossoming of theology in the Weimar Republic. That's where you went to study if you were a Christian in the United States, if you really wanted. You didn't go to Harvard. You went to Berlin University. But you had to beware, because there were some whacked out theologians. That actually went back to the 1820s. I just finished a biography of Charles Hodge, who was one of the first three professors at Princeton Seminary, a great guy, biblically sound, just a gregarious guy. And he really is the poster boy for the way the PCUSA used to be, 
and should have stayed. Um, he went and studied in Berlin for two years. Uh, he came under the tutelage of some solid uh, Lutheran theologians, but he also came back to the U.S. in the 1820s and was sounding the alarm bell saying, we've got to keep this weird theology that's in Germany out of the U.S., 1820s. And Princeton Seminary did that for another 100 years till the 1920s, and then that began to be the end of the PCUSA. But anyway, um, sexual mores, uh, there's nothing going on in the United States right now. Abortion, euthanasia, eugenics, uh, homosexuality, uh, polygamy, transgender, drag queens. I thought all this was pretty new, coming together at least. Uh -uh. <laughs> yeah. um, this is all going on in the Weimar Republic. And I'm like, whoa. Um, Marx, Freud, reign in the Weimar Republic. So the, the whole idea of this republic comes under question by the, by the German intellectuals. The universities become uh, hotbeds for tearing down the whole idea of morality and a Republican kind of government. And um, so you, you've got Freudian psychology taking hold. You know, all your problems are sexual and related to how you're potty trained. Um, art developed in a decadent way. The whole Dada movement where art is just, same with music, uh, non-tonal, non-melodic music. It's just radical po politics and philosophies, nihilism. One good thing that happened in the Weimar Republic, the Jews found a home. And when Jews have a home and are safe, they prosper. And the Jews rose up. That's the major scientists were Jewish. Einstein was Jew. The banking system becomes controlled by the Jews because they're hard workers and they develop it. But not all the Germans like that. And um, you've got the normalization of, of uh, drugs, the drug cartels there. Murder rates rose, erotic clubs, entertainment venues, transvestites, drag queens, nudist venues. And this my theory is this sets the stage for Adolf Hitler. They are living in a culture of stupidity. They're denying God. They're denying the laws of God. They are, you know, they were talking about, you know, men could be women, women could be men, blah, 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 blah. Defund the police. They were against the police. Nothing new in the United States. Here's the danger, my friends. Adolf Hitler was a nobody. He had spent part of a year in seminary. Uh, so he understood, even though he didn't believe in God, he understood the necessity of the church uh, being a safeguard for a country. He, got, he didn't get into art school. He wanted to be an artist. They wouldn't let him in. He was a realist. He painted a tree the way a tree should look like. I've seen three of Hitler's paintings. There's a friend of mine in Dallas. He said, Ron, come in this room here. Said, look at some of these paintings. I'm in the room. There's about five paintings by Dwight Eisenhower, about two or three by Winston Churchill, and then there were three by Adolf Hitler. I was going. So Hitler's in tune with the majority of the populace of the Weimar Republic are, is not going along with this. But they're being canceled um, and made fun of and ridiculed and put down and marginalized. Hitler emerges on the scene and basically says, elect me as your prime minister of this republic and I'll fix this stuff. I'll get rid of all this stuff. And the majority of Germans go for it. They're so repulsed. That's the danger today, folks. 
I'm, I, I don't want to be political here. Um, there is no political party in the United States that's God's party. If you believe that, I've got a bridge to sell you. Um, there may be a political party that's more, less of the t two evils. Um, you can even make an argument there's only one party in the United States, this deep state swamp. There are a few outliers, but that's why you see people, you're shocked when, why did they vote for that? Um, you know, one of my problems with the party of the left is that they do vote in block. Now, I know some of you, maybe one or two of you are Republicans, and you get upset when you have a Republican outlier who doesn't, but you know, if, if a man from Mars came and visited our planet and we said, there are two parties here. This one, they just all vote lockstep. And this one, there's freedom. Which party's probably the most healthy? I'd say the one where there's freedom. So cut people some slack when they're not all just, I don't, I think everybody here is near my age or more. You remember when, if a Democrat president was elected, the needle went, if a Republican president was like, my dad was a part of the deep state. He worked for the Defense Department. He had a top secret clearance. I remember the 1960 election, Kennedy Nixon, and the big bugaboo was this Roman Catholic president with the Pope, you know, take over the United States. My mom was concerned. She didn't want Kennedy to be elected. I remember at the dinner table, my dad said, you know, Ella, it really doesn't matter who gets elected. We know how the government works, and we just go, well, he'll be gone in four years, and we just do our job. Now, the difference between then and now is pretty much everybody in the deep state was pro-U.S. And um, my dad was a registered Democrat. My mom was a registered Republican. They were both for the country. Um, 1971, I registered. I was a Trinity student to vote. I registered Democrat because there was no Republicans in in Texas. I grew up in Maryland. There was only three Republicans there. And it really, you know, I didn't see a big difference. It was, they wanted the same outcome, just a little bit different ways to get there. That has totally changed. And I really got off, I'm, I'm just an independent. But, you know, the party of the left really has become an anti-God, party of darkness, death, tyranny, and now stupidity. And um, I'm sorry if that offends people. This is on a podcast. I might get canceled, put in jail next week. Good. Uh, this sets the stage for Hitler. So we got to beware. And I'm not equating any candidate with being Hitler. I'm just saying we need to be smart, not stupid. And let's talk about that uh, a little bit, um, what the difference is. Um, I read an article that said that absurdity and stupidity has become the new national religion. Its, it's new God is self-identity. How you identify yourself. You're your own God. And that's the epitome of narcissism. I really believe that's at the heart of all the craziness that's going on. You see this guy you know, dressed up like a woman. He's acting like an idiot. He's a total narcissist. Uh, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Um, they have their liturgical uh, vocabulary summed up in critical theory. Oh, where did that come from? The Weimar Republic, University of Frankfurt, Germany. It just totally deconstructs everything in bizarre ways. Um, it has its uh, priests, this religion of absurdity. Um, most of them are in the universities. And, sadly, down more and more into the public school system. When I went to public school, I don't remember a political thing ever. We were taught to read, write, do arithmetic, and how to skip school. And, um, you know, I, I was never, I don't remember anything sexual other than my first day in junior high after PE. We had to shower together in a common shower room. I'd never done that. I played on baseball and football teams, Pop Warner, Little League, but we played the game and we went home, took a bath. 
for the first time, we were herded into this room, and you know, some guys were further down the puberty line than others, and we were, everybody's kind of embarrassed. But then I got used to that. Um, that's about the only sexual thing I remember. Uh, and I feel like I was taught to think. I went to Trinity University here. I don't remember anybody trying to brainwash me or indoctrinate me, especially in, I was a pre-veterinary major, so it wasn't a whole lot of subjectivity in what I took, but still, I don't remember any professor. I remember taking a political science class. Tucker Gibson, do you remember him, Chris? Tucker Gibson? And it was the 1972 election, uh, McGovern Nixon. He said he was for McGovern and then shut up about it and didn't really try to bias us either way. And of course, Nixon killed McGovern. But, you know, we were taught to think, think for ourselves. Um, so what's happened to U.S. society? Well, I want us to look at it through the lens of this uh, Bonhoeffer paper, because I think he, he's writing about how did Germans, how did intellectuals in Germany, probably the most famous intellectual in Germany in the Weimar Republic, and then during World War II, on in the 50s, 60s, and he died in 1976, was Heidegger. Heidegger was probably the top of the pile of philosophers in the world. Until the day he died, 1976, Heidegger affirmed Hitler. How could somebody that intellectually smart, even after Hitler was <laughs> deposed and, and to his dying day, 30 years later, he's still affirming Hitler. Um, the German church, brilliant theologians, line up behind Hitler. Hitler knew he had to have the church so he gave him a lot of perks, and he put some of his own guys in positions as bishops. How did Bible-believing, Christ-centered Christians line up and say, that's a pretty good idea, the final solution to get rid of these Jews? I mean, how can you believe the Bible that the Jews are God's chosen people, that Jesus, if you examine his DNA, sent it into me in 23, would come back, he's Jewish. How, how can you be a Christian and, and say, yeah, I think we ought to put, put these people in concentration camps and exterminate them? Stupidity. Stupid people. Let's, let's analyze what's going on in our society as to what Bonhoeffer says. Basically, in that first paragraph, if you look at it, he says, against stupidity, we're defenseless. He says, we have a better time dealing with malice or evil people than stupid people. Why? Because you can reason with a bad guy. <laughs> you know, the, the mafia, if you said, you know, it's not right to do prostitution and drugs and kill people, Al Capone would have probably said, you know, you're right, that's why I go to confession every Saturday. Capone did. Capone was in church every Sunday. I would have loved to have been that priest in the confessional. Ooh. And he gave tons of money to the church. He believed the church was right, and, and he went to confession because he believed he was wrong, but he just went out and did it. Um, that's not the case with a stupid person. You cannot reason or argue with a stupid person. I learned this the hard way. I've always been, as a scientist, pro-life. I have a master's in cell biology, reproductive physiology. I know how babies are made. I know genetics. I know, you know, genders, all that kind of stuff. There are two genders. And um, scripture affirms that. Science affirms that. I remember after Roe v. Wade passed, trying to have a reasonable conversation with a pro-choice person. And I mean, it isn't long till they start yelling at you. And if you think I'm kidding, try it sometime. But not just with that. Any of these things, politically, morally, the other side, the stupid people get angry and go after you. Now, there's wackos on both sides, but I think the majority are over there. Um, 
Stupid people will not listen to reason uh, and facts. Bonhoeffer, he doesn't say it here, but what he's discovering is that the, the Weimar Republic and then Hitler, they'd moved into a post-truth, post-reason society. And that's where we are today. It used to be, when I was in college, you know, you argued over the truth. When I was in seminary, we talked, well, what does the Bible say? Is the Bible true? If so, then that's going to be our standard. Um, not anymore. We're in this post-truth society. And Bonhoeffer experienced it then. He said, you try to reason with these people, pretty soon they start attacking you. That's what I'm experiencing in our thing. Stupid people are more dangerous then than evil people. Um, another thing he says here um, in that second paragraph, he says, you know, intellectually smart people can be stupid. And you've probably met some of those. Um, they're too smart for their own good. But they've made up their minds on something, even though they have a PhD, and you can't reason with them. Um, Bonhoeffer goes on to say a lot of people want to be stupid. I have to admit, there are times when I'll hear something, I'll think, that's probably not true, but I want it to be true, and I find myself wanting to grab onto it, and yeah, that's probably right. We really want to be stupid. We want to have all of our preconceived notions affirmed. So if somebody says something stupid, but it lines up with what we believe, hey, we embrace it. A big point that Bonhoeffer makes later in that paragraph is that stupidity grows in groups. Go to, um, I remember I was in, in uh Scotland one time, and, and I was in this restaurant, and I was in a pub, and I was sitting at the bar with a couple of Scotsmen, and a big, big scandal. This was in 1985. Big scandal, and I was reading the articles in the newspaper, and I couldn't understand what was going on. Well, it was a cricket player, like their Mickey Mantle, questioned the call of an umpire. It was scandalous, and I said to these Scottish guys. You know, in America, we kick dirt on the umpires, you know, and cause them out and everything else. Oh, you don't do that here. We're more civil than you Americans. And I said, oh, when was the last time somebody was killed at a sporting event in the United States? Whereas, you know, in Scotland, Great Britain, Europe, these soccer games, this mob mentality takes over. They trample people. They go after the referees after the game and beat them to death. Um, there's something about a mob mentality that you and I need to be very aware and beware of. That can come into the church, too. Um, so don't just jump on bandwagons. Um, take time for solitude, to get by yourself and think things through instead of just buying onto the, the latest thing. Um, social media is fueling, this is, this is the difference between us and the Weimar Republic and Hitler's day. Now they had social media, Hitler took over the newspapers. The Weimar Republic, the intellectuals took over the newspapers there too. And they were just feeding everybody one, pushing the envelope on everything, then Hitler just clamped everything down and just Goebbels and all his guys feeding sheer stupidity to the German people. There was a member of this church, Ber Berta, can't remember her last name. She was in the hospital, Methodist Hospital. It was in the 80s. And I, she was German. I was visiting her every day. I was back in the days before they kicked you out after 24 hours. And so over a period of time, I kind of got to know her, and I thought, well, I don't know if I should ask her this question, but I said, Bruh, you were probably in your 20s during World War II, weren't you? Living in Germany. She said, I was. I mean, how did all this hit you? She said, Ron, I was a, a nurse in the German army. And I enlisted because we were told that Poland invaded Germany. And I believe that. And she spent the whole war ministering to combat wounded soldiers. And she said it wasn't till the end 
American planes were dropping leaflets all over Germany with the truth. She said, I found one of those one time. So I think, could this be true? But she said, I never really knew until the war was over that I was on the wrong side. And she said, I was an idiot. I was stupid. I bought into all this stuff. But now the social media not only disseminates all the stupidity, but let's say I'm disseminating it and you question me, you try to stop me. I can destroy you. I can put out lies, stories about you that are not true at all, and stupid people will grab on to That's why limit your time with all the social media. I don't do Facebook, Twitter. I do email. That's about it. And don't believe anything you see on the internet um, because fake news is very real. It's always been real since the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Um, here's the quick key question I want you to leave here today with. It may be offensive. That's what I'm paid to do, even though I'm not paid. <laughs> afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Here's the key question. Walk out here today and all week ask yourself this question. Am I stupid? Am I stupid? I have a PhD. No. Are you stupid? All this stuff we talked about, do you line up? Here's some things that can help you answer that in the negative. Never give up learning to think critically and reason logically. That sounds logical, but remember, we live in a post-reason age when people will call you a white supremacist if you say, I'm for reason and logic. So get ready to be called names. But if you don't learn to think critically and logically, you will be easily captured by Stupidity. Look at life through the lens of Scripture. Bottom line. This is either God's inspired, inerrant word, or it's not. You've got to make that decision. If it is, then this is the lens through which you need to evaluate everything that comes across your thing. If it lines up with this, hold on to it. If not, step away. That means you need to be reading your Bible. And if you know me, here's where I step in and go. If you're not on a daily Bible reading plan where you go through the whole Scripture one year, you're setting yourself up to become stupid. You're going to be easily captured. I was in seminary. I read an article by Martin Luther to his preaching students. He says, you'll never be a good preacher unless you read through the Bible every year. I was like, oh, I want to be a good preacher. So that was in... 1975, I've gone through the Bible every year since then. I don't say that to brag, but I, I learned that, wow, I could never have been a decent pastor or a decent Christian. How much worse would I be if I didn't read the Bible every year, And Golly, I'm bad enough, but golly, <laughs> this thing hones you. There'll be days when if I gave you a test afterwards saying, tell me two things you read about today in the Bible, you couldn't pass it. But the Holy Spirit's, I can't tell you what Ann fixed last Tuesday for dinner, but it nourished me. And so you're going out into a spiritual war, into a culture of darkness, death, tyranny, and stupidity, disarmed if you're not immersing yourself in the Word of God. Maintain, third point, maintain a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. What does that mean? It means you're not locked down on any one. You'll listen to anybody's reasonable argument. I always say, if you can show me a better way, I'll take it. But you've got to show me. Don't just say, this is the way it is. If you don't believe it, you're blah, 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 bigoted. Blah, blah, blah. No, show me. And if, if it lines up with this and... Common sense, you might win me over. Teachable spirit. 
this is maybe the most important thing because if you're like me, I'm a Scot. So if somebody crosses me, my first instinct is to pull out my William Wallace sword and want to go take their head off. Um, that doesn't line up with this. <laughs> you know. So here's what's helped me. Uh, I dwell every day on the fact that every, I always pray, Lord, help me today to see every person I meet through the lens of the cross and in the imago dei, Latin for image of God. You know, I, I saw a thing, I don't know what race he was. It was a drag queen. I've never seen more makeup. And this interviewer said, how do you deal with the fact that uh, a lot of people say God says what you're doing is wrong? And he said, uh, well, God is not real, and I am. So do with that what you want. My first reaction was, now this, this guy, no matter how defaced the image of God, he's made in the image of God. And every day I pray, Lord, help me no matter who I face, that I see them as made in your image, therefore deserving of love, respect, honor, and protection from womb to tomb. So instead of getting angry at that guy and going after him, I need to pray for him. You'll see that Bonhoeffer says at the end of the paper, um, the only hope for people that are stupid is to be liberated from the outside. And he says at the end of the paper, he says, the word of the Bible that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom declares that the internal liberation of human beings to live the responsible life before God is the only genuine way to overcome stupidity. So what I've been doing for that guy, I can't remember his name, I, I stopped and I said, okay, Lord, please regenerate his heart. And I started thinking, what is it? What happened in his life from the moment he was born that wound up making him like this? Uh, I don't know how he was traumatized or whatever. But his only hope is not that I can talk him out of it or shame him out of it or whatever, threaten him. It's that God decides to regenerate his heart and liberate him. I, I can't remember the judge's name. The famous judge here in San Antonio, Hispanic, his son, this is 40 years ago, the 80s, his son was a famous drag queen here in San Antonio before that was normalized. And, uh, but his son came to Christ. And he wrote a tract. I have a copy of it somewhere. I couldn't find it. Where he talks about his liberation from that lifestyle. And now he's you know, a, a servant of Jesus Christ. And it was, it was an amazing thing. He got headlines in the San Antonio paper, because he was a very famous judge. And um, that's the only hope for all of us. We're, we're all in the same boat, folks. We may be not as stupid as some people, but all of us are stupid to some extent. Um, every time we sin, that shows our stupidity. Um, as my friend Jim Dennison says, sin will always take you further than you want to go, keep you there for longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you thought you were going to have to pay for it. I know that, and yet I'll turn around and do it again. What's the definition of stupidity? Doing something, same thing over and over again, hoping for different results. And so we're all stupid. Our only hope is Christ Jesus. Here's a, here's a principle, though. The power of government, doesn't matter what government, is directly related to the stupidity of the governed. The more stupid the populace is, the more easily the government can control the populace and stay in power. Is that part of what's going on in our society today? I will step out on you know, the dare and say, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, they want, the government wants us stupid. And they want us fearful. The more afraid you are, and I'm afraid. I've never been afraid in my life or anything. I have to, I find myself afraid to say something to somebody because I'm afraid that they'll misinterpret it. They'll brand me as a homophobe, bigot, blah, 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 blah. I never used to think about it. I would just say graciously what I thought. And most people say, well, I don't agree with you, but you know, you're my good buddy. But now, I can't tell you how many 
parents I know who their children won't talk to them because they voted a certain way or they don't believe, you know, they have qualms about the stupidity in our society. And so we're afraid of losing our kids. We're afraid of losing our friends. Um, so we just shut up. And that's what the powers to be want. They want us silent, afraid, and stupid. And the more you stay silent, the more likely the stupider you're going to get. So don't be afraid to speak up, but always salt your speech with grace and keep a, a teachable spirit. Okay, we're, we're out of time. Next week, Paul Castro will be here. He's going to I have a hunch you're probably going to want to talk about this. And Paul's going to be here to help you do that. I'll be back on June 4th, and we're going to get into um, human sexuality amidst a culture of stupidity. What the Bible says about sexual ethics, homosexuality, gender, marriage, polygamy, concubines. Sorry, guys, I'll tell you right up front, it's no. Um, cult prostitutes, do we still have them? You might be surprised. Um, so we'll look at this stuff and uh, hopefully come to a little bit more of a sane stance of how we look at the world. Let me pray for us before we dismiss. Lord God, you're such a God of grace. You look at the world, the Weimar Republic, I don't know. Was Hitler your judgment against them? I, I don't know. If so, what are you going to do with us? Lord, turn this nation around. We can't fix it. We can't fix it politically, economically, militarily. We can't fix it. Uh, may we learn from AA that only when we figure out there is nothing we can do, that's the place to begin. And that we have to have a higher power, and they, we want the highest power, and that's you. You raise up nations, you tell us in your word, you bring them down. Um, Lord, we read through the Bible, the Hebrews just turn their back upon you. I mean, they just, they never learn, and we don't either. Please have mercy upon us, have mercy upon the United States of America. I pray that you would regenerate the hearts of people like In Young Kim, Premier Xi, Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Zelensky, Joe Biden. Lord, what if they came to Christ? So help us, instead of being angry and attacking, to pray for those who are acting in ways that seem stupid to us. And hold the mirror up to us, Lord, because every one of us here does and says stupid things. Um, and we need to be held accountable for that under your word. So help us to pursue a heart of righteousness and sanity based on your word and the indwelling of your Holy Spirit in us. Help us to live out of that reality rather than out of our sinful flesh. And I'm number one in line that needs to do that. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.